People can have some very strange ideas about the Bible and its power and how it can change us. I almost never quote from movies, but I'm going to uh, quote from one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies now because uh, I think it illustrates very well some weird ways that people consider the Bible. Two pirates, Rigetti and Patel, have just escaped from jail. And they're in a long boat on the open sea. And Rigetti is seated in the back of the boat, and he appears to be reading a Bible. And he says to Pintel, we've got to take care of our immortal souls. And he points to the Bible that he's holding upside down. And Pintel replies, you know you can't read. Rigetti answers, it's the Bible. You get credit for trying. I want you to consider this morning if you are a delusional pirate. By that I mean, do you think that there's some benefit from simply having contact with the Bible? Do you imagine that because you have a Bible, because you read from it from time to time, hold it in high regard that uh, there's some kind of automatic blessing? It's very easy to have a wrong view of Scripture, to be deluded about it. We're in a series called Text Message, and the first week was about illumination, how truth is revealed to us, how the Spirit of God reveals, gives insight, understanding into Scripture. The second week was inspiration, that is where does Scripture come from, how did it get to us? And this morning is application, how the Word changes us, it is very possible for you and I to interact with the Bible, to make it part of our lives, and yet not be changed. In fact, you can be deluded. Uh, we're going to look at this passage from James chapter 1, and notice what he says in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. Uh, the word deceive, the Greek word is paralogizomai, and it means to be deluded. Don't delude yourselves means to miscalculate, misunderstand. So you can listen to sermons, you can be in small group lessons and Bible studies and be deluded. You can read devotionals and Christian books and Scripture itself and be deceived, misunderstand, misconstrue. So what's missing? Well, the, the, the verse entirely says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So no matter how much I read, listen, learn, know, if I don't obey, I'm deluding myself. Um, I remember as a kid when they had this unfair rule my parents did about having to brush my teeth before I went to bed. And I thought, I, there's got to be a way around this. And I realized that if I just ran my toothbrush under the sink a little bit, got it wet, then if anybody checked, then at least, yes, I have brushed my teeth. I could lie with impunity. Uh, I got away with that for a few days till my parents figured out that trick. Uh, and, and, but who was going to suffer if I had gotten through? Uh, it would be me. My teeth would rot. My breath would draw flies. I was only deceiving myself. I'm only deluding myself. And that same self-deception occurs when I hear Scripture and don't obey it. I read about how prisons in Quebec banned smoking. And so inmates came up with some creative solutions. 
In place of tobacco, uh, some of them would mix tea leaves and nicotine gum and then roll it up in a page from the Bible. Why the Bible? Well, because they had Bibles and because apparently the, the paper Bibles are made of burned slower than normal paper. And an inmate named Robert said, I smoked Matthew, I smoked Mark, and I smoked Luke. Now, would you ever think that that would make him more spiritual? You can't get much closer to the Bible than ingesting the Gospels into your lungs. But of course, that won't change you, at least not for the better. Uh, Neither will listening to it, or reading it, or singing it. Only when you obey does it change you. Scripture will only change when you obey it. That's what happened to Robert. After he'd smoked Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he said this, when I got to John, I read about how much God loves me, and I received that, and now I'm a Christian. It's the response. It's the doing that makes a difference. I understand that when James wrote these words to those who follow Jesus, the average person had no access to books. No one had their own Bible. In addition, there was a high rate of illiteracy. This was primarily an oral culture, meaning that people listened to Scripture being read to them. And that makes a difference because I don't want you to think that the way you receive God's Word is important. The issue is not whether you hear it, read it, download it, podcast it, sing it, tweet it, blog it, post it, or cross-stitch it. The point is that receiving the Word is not enough. You must do it. In fact, simply listening, reading, studying, or memorizing can be dangerous to your spiritual life. David Daniel says this, The Word of God can warm your heart without ever moving your soul. The Word of God can inform your mind without transforming your life. The Word of God can educate the sinner without eradicating sin. Uh, You can be biblically informed and be left immature, unmoved, unchanged. You can have a false sense that you've gone farther in your spiritual life than you have. You can have a false sense that you're walking with God when you're not. Listening alone does not necessarily lead to life transformation. The Bible is powerful, but the Bible is not magical. And I think that's a common misconception, that there's some magical element of Scripture. It is powerful, but it's not magic. Frequently when I talk to parents whose adult children have uh, gone off their own way and made sinful choices, uh, many, many of those parents will say something like this to me. I didn't raise him like that. She knows better than that. He was in Sunday school every week. She used to memorize scripture verses. I call that a delusional pirate mentality. Uh, Because it doesn't matter how much you're exposed to the word, if you don't obey, your life will not change. Uh, Certainly it's better to hear and to read and study and memorize Scripture, but that alone won't make a difference. Application is crucial. Look how James, a very familiar uh, illustration of this, he says in verse 23, anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So James describes that quick look in a mirror uh, where you might see a pimple on your nose or that you need a shave or that your toupee is crooked or you have lipstick on your teeth or all of those things are wrong and then you have major issues. But you turn away from that and don't do anything about what you have perceived. 
And he contrasts that with somebody who looks intently into God's truth. That phrase, looks intently, are the same words that were used to describe how the disciples looked into Jesus' tomb on the morning of the resurrection. They bent down and they stared at the place where his body had been laid. They'd seen that body laid there and now it was empty. So James calls us to give Scripture not a quick glance, but careful scrutiny. To gaze into God's perfect law, to be absorbed in it, to wonder at it. And the difference that James highlights has less to do with how long you look at it as, and more to do with your response to what you see. Here's the point, that reflection that doesn't produce action is useless. You can reflect on it, but if it doesn't produce action, it's useless. A quick glance or an intense gaze doesn't matter if you do nothing about it. So don't congratulate yourself on making it through the sermon or the lesson or the podcast. Uh, Don't rest in the knowledge that uh, you read the chapter, the devotional, the Christian blog of the day. You might be a regular Bible reader, but if you're just moving the bookmark forward, uh, it will not change your life. The Bible is God's mirror. and No one else may have the guts to tell you what you're really like. But if you look at Scripture, you'll notice what needs to be changed. And we avoid that, we avoid allowing Scripture to change us by not looking at it at all, or by substituting other things for application. So instead of applying God's Word to your life, you substitute some things. So let me point out some application substitutes, things that we can mistakenly substitute instead of applying Scripture. One is, you have a new insight. You have a new insight. And all of a sudden, the dots connect, and and you gain great understanding into a biblical truth, and you go, aha, that's wonderful. You heard that in a lesson or a sermon, or you read it in a book or your own study, and go, wow, that's wonderful. I love this passage. I love this truth. And you feel good about that insight. But that's not application. I remember having what I thought was a great insight from my study of Proverbs 11.24 about what it really means to be generous. It, it, was a, it was an insight about generosity that I had not previously understood. And it challenged my views on giving. And, and it was, I, I thought, really insightful because a famous Bible teacher had missed this completely when he was putting this passage together. And, and so I discovered this truth. I taught it to my congregation. Uh, I, uh, I was speaking at a conference, and it was one of the talks that I gave at the conference. Uh, I included in a, in a chapter in a book that I wrote. And as that book was going to print it suddenly dawned on me that I had never actually applied this concept of generosity. It was a great insight. I've actually never been generous in the way that I understood that. So that insight meant nothing until I put it into practice. That's one of the substitutes. A second substitute is that you apply it to others. This is our favorite one. That's when you hear or read a truth from the Bible and you can easily point to somebody else to whom that applies That's just what my husband needs if my wife could only hear this. And that's how we avoid applying truth. And we get so caught up in how other people need to do this or need to stop doing that that we fail to apply it to ourselves. Third substitute, you rationalize it. This is when you hear or read a biblical truth and you think, well, that's true, but that's not me. My situation is a little different. 
Christian psychologist uh, William Struthers says that this is one of the stages of porn addiction. He says, well, I look at porn, but not every day, so I'm not addicted. And so you find logical reasons why porn is okay. You hear Jesus' words about lusting in your heart is adultery, but you have reasons, you have excuses why that's not what you're doing. Comedian Louis C.K. has uh, been accused of and admitted to a lot of immoral behavior uh, in the last year. He's been immoral for a long time, but he's just come under light in the last year or so. A a number of years ago, this is what uh, Louis said. He said, I have a lot of beliefs, and I live by none of them. If any of my beliefs get in the way of what I want to do, I just do what I want. Now that's honest. Uh, those who claim to know Christ and do, can do the same when we come up with reasons why we can't or won't obey what God has said. A third application, or fourth application substitute. Are we there already? Wow. You have an emotional reaction. You have an emotional reaction. This is when you hear God's truth and you feel happy. You, you, you feel blessed or you get convicted or you're, you're comforted. But then once that feeling goes away, you stop feeling that, then nothing changes. You've not made a decision to alter your behavior. So your, your response has been just a feeling that goes away. I was fascinated in reading Ezekiel 33. This is directly from Ezekiel 33. It says this, My people come to you, as they usually do, and sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. With their mouths they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them, listen to this, you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. It's saying God's people, they they enjoy hearing you, and it's like, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? but they don't do anything with it. You See, you can get emotional over God's truth in worship, but without application, it's just simply entertainment. Simply entertainment. So, what does it mean? Those are kinds of things that we can substitute for application. What does it mean to actually apply God's truth? How can I do it? Well, James gives us three areas of application. Your mouth, your ministry, and your morals. First of all, he says, apply it to your mouth, verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Now, this doesn't mean silence, obviously. This is about control. You just can't say whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Uh, You you can memorize the entire Bible, but if you can't contain your angry outbursts, then that's a real sign of your spiritual immaturity. If you're prone to criticism, if you're prone to hurting people with words, if you're prone to biting sarcasm, foul language, dishonesty, then you have an application problem. Uh, I... I remember years ago being at a, a men's retreat, and there were several churches that gathered together for this retreat. And at one point, I, I don't remember what was happening, but uh, one of the men, men stood up and said, I, you know, I'm really convicted, so I have a real problem controlling my tongue. I, I curse all the time, and I just can't seem to get uh, a grip over it, and, and uh, so I would appreciate your prayer. So, yeah, a bunch of, we gathered around them, and we felt badly for this brother, and certainly wanted to pray for him, and, and uh, understood that he had difficulty controlling his tongue, and prayed that uh, by the power of the Spirit, he would uh, gain control over that and grow in his life. And it was after that the group broke up, and I talked to the, and I found out he was a pastor. 
And well, that changed the whole thing for me. <laughs> I, w- I wanted to hear a sermon, first of all, but then I was like, how, how can you be in that role and not have gained control over your tongue? Because the tongue is one of the easiest things to control. It's one of the first things. Now, do we struggle? Yes, but if you can't manage your tongue, then your heart is in worse condition. That's the reality. And so James says, then your faith is mateos. That's the word for worthless. It means to be empty. Your faith is, has no value if you can't control your tongue. That's how important it is. So apply it to your mouth. Secondly, he says, apply it to your ministry. Verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So give caring attention to those in need. You can't begin to meet every need you become aware of. We are so connected to our world. There are needs everywhere around us, distressing, terrible things. We can't meet every need. But as the people of God, we we must not avoid or ignore the people God puts in our path. Those needs that God puts before us in our path, we need to pay attention to. And the widow and the orphan were the most vulnerable in ancient society. We could add others to this list as well. But notice it refers to those in distress. This is a word that is most often applied to active persecution. Someone who is oppressed by others. Someone who is mistreated by others. And this could be suffering due to natural disaster or devastating circumstances. And I know many in this congregation who step forward to help flood victims, who have given support to single parents, who have given care and counsel to to people in traumatic situations. And this kind of face-to-face, hands-on interaction with someone in distress is application of God's truth. So that's how you apply God's truth, dealing with those who are in distress, who are vulnerable and in distress. Third, apply it to your morals. He says also about this pure religion that you, uh, is to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Verse 27. So to claim to know God and then to live in persistent and unrepentant sin is a lie. Who are you when no one else is looking? Now, application of God's truth means you turn away from actions and thoughts and habits you know are sinful. And when you fail, uh, you turn to Christ for mercy and you ask for His forgiveness and you receive it because uh, God has promised to faithfully forgive all who confess to Him and turn to Him alone. And the reason why when you don't apply God's truth, your life won't change and therefore you will lack peace and satisfaction and you'll lack joy and blessing because you're not allowing God's Word to shape your character and make you more like Jesus. Now about 600,000 people have heart bypass surgery uh, every single year in the United States. Well the bypass is a temporary fix and patients are told that they must change their lifestyle. They must quit smoking and drinking. They must exercise and reduce stress and change what they eat. In, In essence doctors are saying change or die. Now you would think that that would be enough motivation for change. But sadly, 90% of those patients make absolutely no change in their lives. They keep smoking, they keep eating cheeseburgers, they keep sitting in a recliner, and they in effect choose death. If you don't apply God's word to your morals, you are refusing to change. Your spiritual life will never be healthy and strong. It will be lethargic and unproductive. Your religion then is without value, Verse 27 says, and without the blessing of God. So, 
Uh, those are some substitutes why we don't change. Those are reasons what we need to change to do. Uh, why don't you change? Why don't, uh, what, what, what keeps you and I from changing? What keeps you and I from applying the truth of God? Well, if we back up a few verses in James chapter 1, there are two reasons pointed out. One reason why you don't change, you don't belong to Christ. You don't belong to Christ. You say, well, I'm changing because he says, verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. See, without Jesus, you are spiritually dead. You have no place for the word of God. You don't desire it. You don't love it. You don't understand it. Before you were born again, your heart is full of other things that keep out the Word of God. You have no need of it. But He's given you birth through the Word of truth. That Word of truth, what is that? Ephesians 1.13 says the Word of truth is the gospel of salvation. He gives you birth through the gospel of salvation. That's the Word of truth. And that gospel of salvation is that you and I are born into this world, separated from a holy God by our sin. And the gospel is the good news that God has reached out to you in love through Jesus. By his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, Jesus opened up the way. He paid the price of sin for all who believe. He gave us a new birth, a new life, a new identity. That's the word of truth. It's not enough for you to simply know the facts. It's not enough to just believe in God. Even the demons believe in God. It's not enough for you to be a good person. You must apply this truth. You must abandon hope in all other ways of saving yourself and cling to Jesus, uh, the, the gospel of salvation. Cling to Him, and without that, you will never change. Uh, no matter what you know or claim to believe, apart from putting your faith and trust in Christ alone, you are lost. And until you are reborn by the word of truth, God's word will not change your life. Now, but for those of you whose trust is in Christ alone, why don't you change? James gives us a second reason. You don't welcome the Word. You don't welcome the Word. He says, humbly accept the Word planted in you. Humbly accept it. See, the Word of truth that saves you doesn't go away. It's implanted. And for that Word to change you, you must continue to welcome it. You must continue to give it room and space and invite it into your life. Now, uh, two weeks ago yesterday... Our oldest daughter, her husband, and their three children drove from Cincinnati to come and visit us. And we knew they were arriving on Saturday, and uh, some hours before, I unlocked the front door, because it's not unlocked all the time, just so you know. I unlocked the front door, unbolted it, and so we're ready for them. Didn't know exactly when. I was somewhere else last Saturday, uh, somewhere else in the house, when all of a sudden, the front door burst open. There was no knocking, there was no doorbell ringing, but three little kids burst into our house, and there they are, and we're so excited, and they're still here. We invited them in. We made space for them. That's the kind of welcome you need to give the Word. You, you, you need to say, I'm ready for whatever it is, and, and open it up and stay as long as you need. Do whatever you need to do. If you belong to Jesus, the Word of truth is implanted in you, but for your ongoing enjoyment and health and growth, you must keep welcoming this written Word into your life. To accept it humbly means you need to be ready to submit to it. Now, for a couple of years, I worked as an editor. Uh, I, I, during that time, I wrote countless magazine articles and columns and books and blogs and edited them and, and all this. As a result, people who know that about me, family, friends, acquaintances, perfect strangers, have asked me 
many, many times to edit the book that they've written. Um, and so I, just to tell you up front, I've, I've put an end to that just in the last year. Don't bring me your memoir about your Cocker Spaniel. I don't want to read it. And the reason I put an end to it, for, well, there's a lot of reasons, but the main one is it often does not go very well. It doesn't. Because what most people really want for me to say is, this is perfect, I wouldn't change a thing. A few years ago, someone distantly related to me by marriage sent me a book manuscript and asked me to edit it. So I invested time and energy I did not have, because this is a family member, and I praised the good parts, and I suggested some changes, and I made some editorial corrections. And not only didn't she thank me, she still hasn't spoken to me. <laughs> when I humbly welcome the Word, I'm inviting it to critique me. I'm inviting it to edit me. And I'm saying, yes, here's how I'm going to change. Here's how I'm going to respond. And I can't pick and choose which parts of God's truth I want to accept or believe. I must welcome all of it. I can't compartmentalize and say, well, I, I, I'm going to accept what the Bible says about salvation, but I've got a business to run, so I'm going to ignore what it says about honest practices and fair wages. Or, I, you know, I think what the Bible says about love is good, but then not love my wife as my own body or, or, or refuse to forgive my idiot coworker. I can't do that. I can't compartmentalize or I'm not obeying truth. I'm not welcoming it. I must invite all of truth in and submit to its correction. And here's the point. If I humbly welcome the Word, my life will change. If I humbly welcome the Word, it's, my life's going to change. So let me repeat that the starting point is putting my faith in Christ alone. Jesus said in John 5.24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has crossed over from death to life. So when you humbly submit to the living word of God, your eternal destiny will change. You no longer face the punishment of God for your sin. Jesus instead takes all the punishment you deserve and gives you his righteousness. You become a new creation. And when that is true, then you have the power to change to continue to grow, to be like Him. And as you invite His truth into your life, it will shape you and change you more and more into the image of Jesus. Now let me get really real here in my own life. When I was a college sophomore, I realized that my spiritual life was drifting at best. And I got very convicted that pride and lust and foolishness were on the increase in my life, and that my attitudes and my reactions were often not honoring Jesus in any real way. And God brought me in contact with a small group of guys who, it turned out, had that very same concern in their own lives, and we decided to begin meeting together and hold each other accountable. We agreed, actually, to begin to memorize Scripture together. We each got a pack of cards with Bible verses on them, and we worked on those cards every day, and we'd get together and test each other on these memory verses. And we've been doing that for about a month. We're college students. We're doing this on top of, well, I wasn't really doing other stuff, but I was doing this because I knew it was important. Been doing about a month or so when spring break came around. And another friend of mine invited me to come spend the week with he and his family in Pittsburgh. And of course, who doesn't want to go to Pittsburgh on spring break? Well, there were a number of students from that area, and we carpooled in a, a large vehicle 
all headed in that direction, and I was in the back seat sitting next to a girl that I only knew by sight. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that trip, she whispered in my ear an invitation. She offered to have a sexual encounter with me over spring break. And honestly, if that had happened just a month before, I might probably have said yes. But I had memorized 1 Thessalonians 4.4, which says, Learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like those who do not know God. And so I whispered back to her, Thanks so much. Please don't be offended, but I'm trying to live in obedience to God. I realized that there was really no way I could say that that wouldn't be offensive, but I did. She also never spoke to me again. (laughs) Now, was it important for me to memorize that scripture? Yes. But no matter how well I memorized it, if I didn't choose to obey it, life would have been different for me. This word of God will change you. But it must first be implanted, and then you must welcome it continually. What are you doing to welcome God's truth into your life today? Why don't you choose a portion of Scripture to focus on? Think about it. Meditate on it. But more importantly, apply it. Apply it to your mouth, because how you talk is evidence of who you are. Apply it to your ministry, because caring for people in distress is what God wants. Apply it to your morals, because God's Word will shape your character. Welcome God's truth. Invite it in, all of it, and your life will change. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the power of Your Word. Holy Spirit, we thank You that You are here to convict us with that Word to inspire us with that Word, to illumine that Word to us. So I would ask, Lord, that every single person here whose faith is in Jesus alone, and that includes me, that we would look into Your Word, stare at it intently, and apply, and see our lives changed by Your power. And Lord, for anyone here who has not received the gospel of salvation, the Word of truth, Christ alone, may today be the day that they put their faith in the one and only Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.